this is our last day on the book of Hosea. And I have a, I have a passage that sums up the whole book in its entirety. So if you want to get your Bibles out, turn with me to Hosea chapter 2. And we'll start off on verse 13. I will punish her. He's talking about his people. He's talking about a bride, unfaithful bride. I will punish her for the days that she burned incense to the Baals or foreign gods. She decked herself out with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot about me, declares the Lord. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as she did in her days of the youth, as in the day that she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me master. Amen. I will remove the names of these gods from her lips. No longer will their names be evoked. In that day, I will make a covenant with them and with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, new wine, and oil. They will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to her once I called you not my love. I will say to those called not my love, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Amen. This is being declared over an unfaithful people. The illustration is an unfaithful bride. Hosea, again, forced to marry a prostitute to be the Bible's greatest illustration lived out. What a job. On your bulletin cover, the last time you'll see this picture, on your bulletin cover is a bride. I started off this series talking about uh, where this picture came from. I took this picture, and I took it in Israel, and this is the original photo. I wanted Jennifer to put this on the bulletin cover, and she's like, no, it's, it's too grainy, it's too gritty. So Jennifer and Luke LeJudice did their Photoshop magic, and they made that bulletin cover that looked like it came out of an iStock photo clip or something like that. But this is the original photo. And I snapped it, moving probably, I don't know, 15 miles, 20 miles an hour in a tour bus filled with a bunch of crazy charismatics. And at that moment, 
I didn't feel like a crazy charismatic. I was actually, I was like in one of these spiritual pity party things. Like, God, how come you never talk to me anymore? Like all these like holy women all around me. And like, how come I don't hear your voice anymore? So I was just kind of like doing the poor little me pity party thing. Like I don't hear God's voice anymore. You know, how come you don't speak that thing? Where are, why are you so far from me? And as we are going through this city, and it looks a lot like that picture right there, not a pretty city, um, a Palestinian town. The street sign says Cana. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if this is the Cana of the Bible where Jesus performed his very first miracle. And as soon as I thought that thought, this gal comes out of this door. She just, she just walked out as soon as I thought that thought. And then the Israeli tour guide, who's not a Christian, gets on the intercom and says, Hey, everybody, friends, uh, just so you know, we're in the city of Canaan where Jesus performed his very first miracle at a wedding. And again, I'm seeing this picture. But this is the, this is the raw version of it. So you've got... Uh, you know, you've got the sister on her cell phone, you have a bored teenager, and then you have most likely a cranky mother-in-law sitting right there. So this is real life. And yet, not quite completely accurate because this Palestinian bride is in a Western wedding dress. And just so you know that most, um, most brides... Throughout the world, they want the white wedding dress. They, they want the, the, the American style or the Western style of wedding these days. And it's just, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of like how everybody wants Elvis or something. But, but yeah, this is, she wouldn't necessarily have a contemporary Western dress like that. But I do have some pictures of some other brides and then their dresses. So that is most likely what she would have looked like in the first century, if, she, if that Palestinian would have been wearing a dress. So this is a, a, a Berber gal and her pretty dress with ornate with jewels and all these things. Uh, we're going to be reading Song of Songs in a minute, and we're going to be talking, the, the, the Lord or the king will be speaking to the Shulamite bride. So that's probably, she, that's probably the closest thing that she would have looked like. Let's go to the next one. This is a Polish bride. Isn't she pretty? I got a couple of Polish brides in there. Got a white little thing. It's a Native American bride. A Tibetan bride. This is a West African bride. South Indian bride. Another Polish bride. We'll just say Slavic, okay? Uh, East African bride. That's that it, South Indian gal again. Arab bride. Uh, this also could have been the Shulamite bride, something like this. Thai, Thai bride. Mongolian bride. Now let's just pause for a second. Does she look familiar to anybody? Any nerds out there? Does she look familiar? All right, let's go to the next one. There she is again. And there is a bride from the planet Naboo. Um, yeah, Lucas ripped this off. So it was another, he, he ripped everything off. We love Star Wars, but let's be honest, he stole everything. 
So these are all different types of cultural brides, and I love it. I just, and you know, when I was an antique dealer, I was always buying textiles and things that had gold embroidered into it and, and pearls and rubies and just, and it's just, I don't know, I geek out on this kind of stuff. And the point of me showing you all of these brides decked out, looking stunning, looking beautiful is because that is God's intention for his church. This is a hard concept for guys to get or want to get but the church of Jesus Christ is considered a bride. We are the bride of Christ. And it is his intention that we prepare ourselves, that we dress ourselves, that we adorn ourselves, that, we are, that we're taking it seriously as we are being someday presented to the bridegroom. On Friday, my bride, Mako and I, we went to this uh, a pastor's gathering. It's been a while since we've done one of those with other community pastors and local pastors. We got together, we prayed, we worshiped, and there was a guest speaker, and we were really encouraged. And touching bases with my friends that lead other churches. It's a common theme on that day, and then other conversations that I've had during this season from church leaders over and over again. I've been hearing this quite often. And this is what I hear. The church in this culture, this American culture, has dropped the ball, has messed up, has failed, has, has not come off looking good. In fact, it's come off looking kind of bad. That's, that's how I feel personally. And it seems as if other opinions are, are validating how I've been feeling lately about the church. Not Granite Creek. You guys are absolutely amazing. I'm in love with you. But there's other brothers and sisters in Christ in, on the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, in, in political realms that I'm just kind of embarrassed about, frankly. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is to be attractive, radiant, glowing. I was married here outside 20 years ago on that field. There was no playground at that time, and my wife came down those stairs, and she was radiant, glowing, attractive. She took my breath away. She still does. And that is how Jesus wants to see his prepared bride, as if she's taken the time and she has prepared and she's ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. But this is how I am seeing the church. Could be wrong, but again, other pastors are saying the church has got to, she's got to clean up her, her mess. This is kind of how I've been seeing her. To where the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, should be beautiful. The bride should be beautiful. It is my experience, my opinion, that the bride is being portrayed as a cranky Karen instead of a beautiful bride. It's, it's the brashness. It's the rudeness. It's the, the lack of kindness. It's the I don't really care. I'm going to smoke a cigarette and I'm going to blow it in your face. That is what 
is not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is something that the Word of God says that, that will make the nations jealous, not offended. That Israel will, will be, be provoked to jealousy over what we do in our worship and how we connect to God through the Holy Spirit. Like Israel's going to be like provoked to jealousy from how beautiful the bridegroom's bride is. And yet it just seems like we're more of a, instead of all those pretty brides I just showed, we're more of a bridezilla. It's, there she is. This, ah, that's how I see it. I, have a t- I gotta tell you a story. It actually doesn't really fit as an illustration, but I, just, I can't leave it alone. I gotta tell you a personal story. Uh, when COVID first started, I had a wedding scheduled and um, they called me up and they said, Pastor Josh, they, the venue, can- they canceled our, our ceremony. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. And like, well, you know, we were going to invite like 200 people, but that obviously is not going to happen. So we're just going to do a, a nice little intimate ceremony at my father's house. Would you be willing to come and perform the ceremony? I'm like, of course, I, I would love to. So I, I did the ceremony. And then um, let's just say this. Colorful people at this, at this wedding. Characters, kind of like you. Um, characters. And I did the ceremony, and they're like, so Pastor Josh, do you want to stay for food and a reception? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Not that I was hungry, but I just, like, I just, I knew I needed to stay. And sure enough, the reception started going off, and the groomsmen got into the garage, and they got the dirt bikes out, and they're doing donuts in the backyard in their, in their uh, dress clothes. It was awesome. And then it didn't take too long for the bride to jump off the garage roof into the swimming pool in her gown. And then the Bud Light started busting out. It was a great party. They were having a lot of fun. And yeah, I stuck around for that one. Now, that's what they were doing to celebrate. And I, and I celebrated with them. Now, although... This gal jumped off the roof into the pool in her dress, and she was walking around. I, yeah, I had to, like, okay, I can't look at that right now. I had to, like, you know, shield my eyes from the white dress contest. They made it a point that they wanted to invite God into their marriage. And she, maybe not too classy, but she wasn't a bridezilla. She wasn't rash, she wasn't bold, she wasn't rude, she was very kind, and they're just having fun at their, at their reception. We'll just, we'll just stay there. So I did. But man, that, that reception, that was fun. I did another one. You guys remember this couple if you've been with us for a while. Do you remember, do you remember uh, the Buttons, Brian and Melissa Button, or Brian Cage? He's a pro wrestler, a legitimate pro wrestler. They used to sit over there. They're now in Vegas. He was like big, buff, scary-looking dude. He looked like Wolverine on steroids. That was actually one of his stage names, is the Swolverine. So I did their wedding. They got married at the Kellogg House. 
Very classy place, like Kellogg as in Kellogg cereals. It's the Kellogg Mansion. Did you know that the Kellogg Mansion is like, you can go and visit it. It's like right up there off the 10 freeway. Uh, it's at Cal Poly campus. It's a really cool place. Very classy wedding. And Melissa was a radiant bride. Super classy. In a mansion. It felt as if you were at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And their guests were very interesting. Okay, pro wrestlers. And they were showing up for a party. Full-blown sequence suits that men were wearing. Some guys would have blazers on and wrestling shorts, and that's it. Well, they had a big, giant gold chain. and then So much fun! One of the funnest weddings I've ever been to. Such a great party. Sometimes at weddings, you have to make this announcement. So if you have your cell phones, please grab them, put them on mute, or turn them off, and no photos during the ceremony because they ha the bride and groom have hired a photographer to take the photos, and so just let's just not distract with our phones and our cameras. But at the button wedding, I had to make a different kind of announcement. I said, okay, everybody, during the ceremony, please take out your phones and video and take as many pictures as you possibly can and hashtag the button wedding. That was a first. So different strokes for different folks. God wants us to be a beautiful bride and to have an amazing reception. The wedding supper of the Lamb at the end of days. The most defining moment, not only in the history of mankind, but in the history of all creation. Everything is going to be pointing to this party. Everything is pointing to this wedding day when the bridegroom, Jesus, marries his bride. And you, we have to prepare, we have to position, we have to know that this is a, it, it's a love affair. It's a, it's a romance. When I read Hosea earlier, that concept that you will call me husband, we're going to call Jesus the husband and not master. I know he's Lord. I know he's Savior. He's all of these things. But the ultimate relationship with our creator is family. We're going to marry into him. The companion book to Hosea, because Hosea is talking about a bride that is not pretty, right? The unfaithful bride. Hosea has to marry a prostitute, an unfaithful bride that's been very rude and disrespectful. Hosea is forced to marry this, this thing that's not that pretty. She's got a machine gun and a cigarette in her mouth, right? And yet, this is how God sees the relationship. This is what God wants to do. This is his desire. His desire is to gently call us into the desert and, and speak tenderly to us. This is from the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is the companion book to Hosea. So if you were brave enough to get through the book of Hosea, I want to encourage you now to grab the Song of Songs and read what God's intention is with his people, with his church. It kind of sums it up. Songs, Song of Songs, 
chapter 1, verse 8, and then we're going to also read Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to read it, and I want to allow and give you permission just to allow the Word of God to soak in. Read it as if God is speaking directly to you. I mean, hear it as, as if God is speaking directly to you. Open your heart and your ears to the Word of God. Let it penetrate in. Listen to what the Lord, of God, the Lord wants to say to His bride. And maybe even in your, if you need a picture of the bride, it was either that Arab-looking gal with all the gold around her face, or that first picture of the Berber bride. The shepherd king says, Listen, my radiant one, if you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds. My dear one, let me tell you how I see you. You are so thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Your tender cheeks are beautiful. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. We will enhance your beauty. I love that. We will enhance... Who's we? We will enhance your beauty with golden ornaments studded with silver. Chapter 2.10. The one I love calls to me, Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come away with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and to lead you out. Now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended, and the season of hiding is over and gone. The rain has soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of the doves in your land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and to guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The earthly signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. Budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of flowers whispering, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to higher places. For now is the time to arise and to come away with me. For you are my dove, hidden in the split rock. It was I who took you and hid you up there in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see you, your radiant face, and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful are the eyes of worship, and how lovely the voice in prayer. You must catch the troubling foxes. 
those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid out of budding vineyards of love to ruin what I have planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. That's the word of the Lord. This is, a, this is what God is saying to us. This is what he's speaking into us. This is how he sees us. You know, even though we might be a gomer, he sees us as the Shulamite gal. He's calling us. He's preparing us. He's making a way. This theme of the bride, the theme of, uh, of, of, of being married, man and woman, starts at Genesis. It ends in Revelation. Ends at the end of the book as well as the beginning of the book. Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Right? It's coming. The wedding of the Lamb is coming. And his bride has made herself ready. And that is the point of today's message. The bride has made herself ready for this incredible cosmic wedding. That's what we need to aspire to. That's what we need to, to attempt to do as the church that meets in this building called Granite Creek, the body of Christ. We need to prepare ourselves for that great day. In fact, corporately, all over the world, every Christian needs to begin to prepare themselves for the, coming, for the day of the Lord. And, and again, it's coming. Watch on the news. It's maybe sooner rather than later. Preparing ourselves, making ourselves ready. We do it as a church, but you also need to be mindful, and we need to do it as individuals. You're responsible for preparing yourself in addition to preparing the body of Christ. So how do you make yourself ready? How do we, how do we make sure that, that when we are presented to the bridegroom, our dress is beautiful. When we are presented to the bridegroom, that, we've, that we're ready, that, we gotta, that we're prepared. Some keys to it are in the Song of Songs that I just read. The first thing that we need to do is to make sure that our optics are right. Like, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? Do you see God in your everyday life? And that's a tricky, that's a tricky question, right? That's a tough one to answer. I would say, and I know, that God is in your everyday life. He is there to be seen. And when the old ways aren't working, you know, you're, I don't know, your five-hour prayer time in the morning. When that's not working anymore, I'm not saying that it's not good, but maybe God wants you, to, wants you to see him in a different way. 
Maybe he wants to express and show his love to you in a different way. And so we need to see Jesus. The simple point here is keeping your eyes on Jesus. If you want to prepare yourself for him, we need to be looking at him. Preparing yourself means that, that your eyes are upon Jesus. Listen, this was back in the very first verse that we read. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen, my radiant one, if you ever lose sight of me. Has anybody ever lost sight of the Lord? It's so easy to do. You're looking at other things, you're busy, you're, you're stressed out, you're in the muck and the mire. It's so easy to lose sight of the Lord. But this is his promise for you. If you ever lose sight of me, you just follow my footsteps where I lead my lovers. I like that. Like God wants to, he wants to love on you. Follow his footsteps so that, and allow him to love on you. We just think, well, if I follow his footsteps, he's going to give me a spanking, yeah? Or he's going to, you know, it's going to be not a pleasant thing. God wants to love on you. Follow my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come to the place that's near the sanctuary of my, of my shepherds. In short, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, come near to the place of the sanctuary of my shepherds, the congregation, the ecclesia, the church, the gathering. Like we can't, there's a reason why Paul says, don't forsake the gathering. I know it's been a very difficult season and super easy to forsake the gathering, but if you're going to prepare yourself for the Lord, you need to keep your eyes on him. And he is easily seen and highlighted when we are gathered together in this organization, in this organism that we call church, Granite Creek, or any other church in our communities that declare that Jesus is Lord. You need to be around shepherds, just frankly. You need to be around godly people that have dedicated their lives to him. Secondly, you need to see yourself. Again, this is an optic thing. In order to prepare yourself for the Lord, we need to be able to see ourselves as God sees us. And if we're in a Gomer state of mind, in an unfaithful mindset, if that is all we are looking at and focusing on, is our failures, is, is our disobedience, uh, our unfaithfulness. Like everybody in the room has been unfaithful. Everyone in the room has been disobedient. It is so easy to just focus and put your identity into that lie, according to the scriptures, that you are nothing more than a failure, disobedient, unfaithful individual. Those are the optics. That's the way that the devil wants you to see yourself because that's how he sees you. And that's what he's putting on you. But the word of God says that he sees you in a different light. What does is, what is the, the king say? Verse 9, my dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. You are so thrilling to me. You ever thought about that? Look, I get thrilled by God. It's kind of easy to do. I love to be in God's presence. I love to pray. I love to, have, I love to have my prayers answered. I love to feel the presence of God in the context of worship. I like it when God shows up and shows me a bride coming out of a building, a little serendipity. It's cool. I love it. I get thrilled. I love miracles. I am thrilled to be in the presence of God. 
But this, this is saying something different. This is saying that, well, yeah, well, God gets thrilled when he's in your presence. Isn't that cool? I don't, you know how easy it's to think, not to think in those terms? Like, you show up into God's presence, and you ever just feel like, like Jesus is doing the face palms? Like, oh, man, not you again. Yeah, yeah, I know what you did last week. Oh, yeah, you're a loser. Okay, we're going to have to work on this. But that's not how God is. He is thrilled to be in your presence. He's so excited. He thinks that you're so beautiful. He calls you the radiant one. Even though it might not be like a tangible reality, it's a spiritual reality. Amen? You are the radiant ones. You have to see yourselves as God sees you, not as you see yourself, and definitely not as the devil sees you. You are thrilling in his eyes. He likes to hang out with you. He likes to be in your presence. Next one, we need to learn to discern. Strange times, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts, a lot of talking heads, a lot of voices. We're dealing with spiritual movement that we don't quite understand. There's political spirits, there's religious spirits, there's demonic spirits. There's a lot of things going on. You need to learn how to discern. It's a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift that everybody needs to have. Song of Songs says this, Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth all around you? You see how easy it is to miss God's blessings, to miss a destiny moment? Like, it does require discernment. We've got to discern what God is doing. It might be really easy to, to figure out what the devil's doing, but we need to discern what God's doing, what he, where he's moving, how he's acting. We need to learn how to discern. Next point is that we need to prepare. Prepare in prayer. Prepare ourselves as the bride in prayer. When, you are, when you're in a point where you are discerning and you sense either God is doing something or you are, you're sensing that something might not be right, do you know what your assignment is after discernment? It's prayer. You've got to move yourself into the presence of God through prayer and in worship. I mean, he's really doing all the work behind the scenes. But when we're, when we're moving ourselves into prayer, I want you to, to think about it in this word picture. You're actually adorning yourself for the bridegroom. Every time you are praying prayers that, that God would have you pray, sometimes we pray prayers that God didn't ask us to pray. But every time we go into his presence and we are praying prayers that are inside the context of his will, every time we are worshiping God, it's as if he's gathering up those prayers those worship expressions, he's collecting them up into heaven and he's making some beautiful jewelry for your gown. Your prayers and your worship are the adornment on your headdress. Song of Songs again says, 
How beautiful your eyes of worship. I love that. The eyes of worship. Like when you worship, you need to be seeing God in the spirit, right? In the spirit. You can close your eyes and see God. The eyes of worship. And lovely your voice and prayer. So if you don't know how to pray, follow Jesus' model and what we call the Lord's Prayer and follow what he says to us in this song. Lovely your voice in prayer. Are your prayers lovely? Or are they angry? Are they bitter? Are they sad? Now you can be sad and pray, of course. But the ultimate expression in a prayer is it needs to be lovely. You start praying lovely prayers, and you're going to start adorning yourself for your husband. Next point is a little more practical. You have heard it said, don't sweat the little things, right? Have you heard this saying, don't sweat those little things, don't worry about it, don't sweat the little things. You have heard that said. But I say to you, oh, you better sweat the little things. <laughs> you have better sweat the little things. There's another saying, another famous saying, is that the devil is in the details. Well, that one's true. If we are not being mindful of all of the little tiny things that we are either entertaining in our mind or practicing in our everyday life, whether it is, I don't know, you're stealing candy bars at the grocery store, or whether you're not managing your emotions well, you're allowing anger, rage, bitterness to rule the day in your heart. Like, these are little things. Oh, and then they, they add up. I guarantee you these little things add up. So yeah, you, we need to sweat the little things. I don't know if you caught this at the last part of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15. The bride is saying to us, you must catch those troubling foxes. Those silly little foxes. What are the silly little foxes in your life? The little white lies, the snide remarks, the selfish attitudes. What are these little foxes that are in your, that are in your life? You must catch them, those sly little foxes. And this is the part that hurts, that hinder our relationship. So sometimes we're not able to communicate to God because there's a little fox in our life, in our field, that's hindering our relationship to the Father. Foxes sneak around in our vineyards, and they chew on our roots. And they disconnect us from our source. And most of the time, we don't even realize it's happening. We must catch them. And then final point. Run, don't walk. Like, we got to run and not walk. Paul says, run and don't go weary. 
You need to run this good race. I know we also call faith a walk, you know. But probably in these times, it's probably better to run than walk. I'm not saying run haphazardly. No, I'm saying run this race and run it hard. Run, don't walk. Get a higher perspective as soon as you possibly can. Again, when we're stuck in, in, in the everyday, when we're stuck in the tension, when we're stuck in politics, you name it, whenever we're stuck in the minutiae, the muck and the mire, and if you are confused, if you're confused, if you're stressed out, if fear is overtaking you more than anything else, I, you need to get up and you get a higher perspective as soon as possible because you can't see God's solution for your problem when you're in the big middle of it, when you're down on the field. You need to get up above your problems, and we need to do it as soon as you possibly can. The Lord says, Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to higher places. You have to run with God to higher places. For now is the time to arise and to come away with me. Now is the time. The heart of it is, is that do you really want to be in that relationship with Jesus? Like these are practical things, but do you really want to, like do you want him to come? Yeah, years ago when I was um, a young man in a young adult study group, I had a friend who said, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm so excited for his second coming. And she actually had it all graphed out. Like she had, I don't know, she did some study. She figured out when Jesus was coming back. She kind of missed the mark because that didn't happen. But she had it all figured out. She was so excited about Jesus coming back. And it actually came out of my mouth. I'm like, I don't think I want Jesus to come back right now. Because that, that's true. That's where my heart was. I was a young man. I was just starting my life. I was about to incur a bunch of financial debt that I couldn't afford. I wanted to get married and fall in love. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to start a family. I wanted to, to live life and live it to its fullest. I wanted to experience this great world. Like, I was excited about life. And my friend like, wanted Jesus to come back. She wasn't excited about life. But this is a really good question to ask. Because it's actually, it could possibly be contingent on the Lord returning. Is that, do we actually want him to come back? That's a big, giant, eschological question that no one can really answer. But I can answer it for you privately. I can answer it for you as an individual. As an individual sitting in your seats all by yourselves, you need to want to have Jesus to come back. You, you, need, you need to want him to come. Revelation 22 says this. 22, 16. I, Jesus... have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, the spirit 
and the bride say, Come. And let the ones who hear say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. And then he goes on to, to quote Song of Songs again. It says, we will do it together. Okay, so what is being implied? This is the very last chapter, the very last book of the Bible, one of the last things that's ever written. And he says, the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, third member of the Holy Trinity, God, is going to make the declaration for the bride, groom, the husband to come. But it also says bride, and that's us. So we have been commissioned, in a sense, been partnered with the Holy Spirit to call the bridegroom to come. I'm not quite sure what that looks like on the global scale, but I know what it looks like for the heart of an individual. When you say, come, Lord Jesus, come, in your heart of hearts, you have, you're preparing yourself to be the bride that Jesus deserves. But we have to make that decision. We have to make the call. We literally have to make the call. God's, God's been calling you your entire life. And now it is your time, your turn. Now is the season. Now is the time for you to run and not walk. Now is your time to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. I'll paraphrase this last little story from Matthew chapter 25. Ten virgins are being prepared for the bridegroom. Five are prepared. They've made sure that there's oil in their lamps. The other five got a little lazy and they weren't prepared. And out of nowhere, without any warning, without any indication, the bridegroom shows up and he receives his brides, the ones that are prepared. The other five that weren't prepared, they're running around with chickens like their head cut off. They ran to the grocery store to buy some oil. By the time they got back, it was all over. And the Lord says, I, I just didn't really know you. And what is he saying? He's saying that we must have a relationship that is based on intimacy where he knows us and you know him. It's a, it's a romantic marriage type of a love. He is calling upon you. And I guess the big question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? You got your dress hanging up in the closet. Does it look nice? Does it need to be ironed out? There's some pizza stains on it. 
What is the condition of your wedding attire? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to make two calls. One for salvation. The reason why I'm going to do that is because I got one last, last Sunday, or last service. We had a decision for the Lord, and we had a, a number of rededications. So if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know where you're going at the end of the age or at the end of your life, now is a really good day to run and not walk. Accept them into your hearts. If you are feeling a little bit like one of those five virgins who's been sleeping on the job and you're not ready, you can be ready now. You can make that change. You can prepare yourself. We call this rededicating your life. So if you want to accept Jesus into your heart for the very first time for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can join him at the Lamb's Supper of Life, raise your hand. If you need to rededicate your life to the Lord because you've fallen asleep and you're not prepared, Raise your hand. Amen, I see you. Amen, I see you. God bless you. I see you. Okay, now just everybody, you can just get yourself into a position just to receive from the Lord today and just say, come, Lord Jesus, come. He's going to come in waves of love, waves of glory, waves of brilliance. You need to know that he sees you in ways that you don't see yourself. He's excited to be with you. So God, right now, I thank you so much for the decisions for you today to turn towards you because you have always turned towards us. I pray a blessing on everyone here that we, that we become the beautiful bride that you've desired. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We sing, we sing, we sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, the Spirit and the Bride, sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. We give you our permission, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
Why don't you go ahead and grab your elements. We're going to receive communion now. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. This is a good meal to have. In fact, it's the best meal you'll have all week. We like to say, preachers and shepherds, we like to say that this is a symbol. I think it's a little bit more than a symbol, in my opinion. It's very powerful. It's very real. And it is symbolic in the sense that it is foreshadowing the day when you and I will sit at a great banquet table at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Highly relational. At the wedding supper of the Lamb. Angels are getting into their mansion and getting their dirt bikes out and doing donuts and galaxies on this day. It is the best day that not only humankind has ever experienced, but all of creation has ever experienced. And we are invited into that party at that table to eat that food. This is a shadow of that day. Receive the body of Christ, this meal, the coming wedding supper of the Lamb. In the new covenant, in this cup, there's the blood of Jesus Christ, which transforms our identity. So if you're feeling like a Gomer, you can become a Shulamite bride right now. You can receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins that washes it all away. Your dress now becomes beautiful. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We do not deserve it. We did not earn it. It was given freely, and we love you for it. Turn our hearts back towards you. Forgive us of our sins. Turn our hearts to this world which you love. So may the, may the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, mind, and spirit, may they be kept blameless, getting rid of all the little foxes until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has called you into a marriage is faithful, never leave you, and never forsake you. And he's coming back. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week of the Lord. See you soon.